0: Hey everybody and welcome to episode number 23 of West New York Brews. My name is Scott. I'm a home brewer just outside of Buffalo, New York. And on this episode, I am talking to Ethan Cox, author and co-owner, founder of Community Beer Works. His book, Buffalo Beer, The History of Brewing in the Nickel City, is a must read if you are a fan of Buffalo history and Buffalo beer. We're going to be talking about the overview, the, the quick bird's eye view of Buffalo Brewing history. If you want the deeper look at it, you should definitely pick up the book. I believe it's on Amazon. You can definitely get it. You can get it from Community beer Works. This episode is brought to you by Fast Brewing. Father's Day is coming up. Check out fastbrewing.com to find out more about their products, including the Fast Ferment, the Fast Rack System. I now bought two of those or four, if, if you counted, I have four racks and two trays. It helps me clean my bottles and I just store them right in the fast rack. They also have the Fast Label products. So you should check out fastbrewing.com also, look forward to our Father's Day episode where we will be talking about other products and other things you can do for your dad for Father's Day uh, having to do with beer. Also, on June 18th, I will be at the third annual Buffalo Brewers Festival that's being put on by the Buffalo Niagara Brewers Association at the Outer Harbor. You should be there too. It's the third time and this one is at the Outer Harbor. It's sponsored by the Buffalo Niagara Brewers Association. There's going to be over 40 Breweries there, including all 20 local breweries. So please check that out. I'll be there. Come say hi. Let's get right into this interview with Ethan Cox from Community Beer Works talking about the history of beer in Buffalo. You ready? Sure. Let me introduce you. Okay. So I'm sitting here in the the office of Community Beer Works with Community Beer Works co founder and owner Ethan Cox. Did Yo. I get that right? Yep. Awesome. Uh, and if i got this right cuz i've been trying to do the research but i might not be right. <laughs> Community Beer Works is within the first 5 of the new Buffalo breweries.
1: I think that's right. I think we're the f- I think we're the first
0: oh, after the Flying first. Bison. After Flying Bison.
1: Flying Bison's established 2000. Okay. I think we're established 2012.
0: 2012. Well that okay.
1: And i think that makes us after them. So before Flying Bison, there's Queen City Brewing Company,
0: and Pearl Street, or is that Pearl Street
1: is actually yep. They precede Flying Bison two um, by a few years. They're not they're not a packaging brewery, so gotcha. It depends where you want to draw distinctions, but you're
0: right, Pearl <laughs> <Okay>. Street. <laughs> that's Pearl why Street, I said in the top yep. five, I didn't want yeah, to yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah it down no, to no, a and, and
1: that's just the point. Like it's hard when it comes to history, it's hard to nail things down you yeah. have to you have to narrow the context if you want to be absolutely correct so the so. first independent packaging brewery in buffalo since flying bison <laughs> were that
0: that doesn't fit on t-shirts yeah, as well yeah no it doesn't <laughs> so this type, I, I always hesitate to use the word resurgence because it happens to be the name. This <laughs> Jeff, forever. this renaissance yes. of beer sure. in Buffalo yes. was is probably the what the third wave of brewing in Buffalo. If mm. again, you mean you want you to go back to eighteen
1: twelve or something? If we like all uh, the way we back. go
0: all the way back. To to Black Rock right and the village of Buffalo.
1: Well, then uh, if we're going to go all the way back, then we're probably like the fifth ish
0: <laughs> wave sixth of gurus.
1: Wave, yeah. All right, yeah. We do have some history.
0: So going all the way back, okay. Uh, Buffalo is built on water. Yes. Just like I mean, just like any major port city, Buffalo is exactly right. A major port city mm-hmm. starting with pre Erie Canal.
1: Yeah. The village of Black Rock is really a bigger deal than Buffalo in, you know, eighteen ten. It's weird today, right? Because you think of Black Rock as just you know up the river part of An Buffalo, area. yeah. But it was a separate community on its own trajectory uh, prior to the completion of the canal. If if Buffalo had not managed to get the end of the canal if Blackrock had won the end of the canal then uh-huh. we'd be talking about the greater
0: blackrock region right i'm sure and this is through an arm wrestling contest
1: yeah yeah right, right. exactly yeah 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 you know the story yeah yeah exactly so <laughs> twist of fate yeah. or strength you know Buffalo ends up winning the canal, and so Buffalo ends up being the city. But so as far as brewing on the Niagara frontier, or whatever you want to call it, in the early 1800s, right? Um, pretty well documented. The first advertisement about beer is a guy named Joe Webb. That advertisement appears twice in the Black Rock Gazette uh, in in late 1812, and he says basically, "Hey, I have a brewery." If you got barley or malted barley, especially, I will trade you that now for beer later. Nice. You see that ad, I think, placed twice, and then you don't really see it again, but it's 1812. So I think we all gather that.
0: (laughs) Right. I don't want to spoil anything. I've read both of the books. (laughs) Right, right. But that was shortly before. Uh, we got burned down. We did. We did. In retaliation, we, it like should be there. it
1: should be noted that we burnt down stuff on the Canadian side first, <laughs> and they were all like, "Really? That's what you're <laughs> gonna do?" Okay, fine. Huh. We got your number, and they they torched everything from from Queenston or Niagara Falls, whatever current Niagara Falls to Buffalo, including <clears throat> Black Rock and uh, Joseph Webb's Brewery. There's evidence. Um, from later on in the 1800s, that his uh, family actually requested from the government compensation hmm. uh, for for their loss uh, due to the the War of 1812. There's no um, there's no indication that they got a payout, and you know, in fact, what, what the government said, like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> war and
0: stuff. Yeah, it takes a lot to piss off Canadians, but we we did it. We did that. <laughs>
1: so after him, we don't really have like there are many years between 1812 and the mid 1820s when any kind of indication of brewing in Buffalo picks up, you have to assume somebody was doing it, but we don't, I mean, history is this way. Sometimes you don't leave any trace. So the next little indication of history is not even uh, our research. So me and and Mike Rizzo did the research in Buffalo beer. Um, There's, Couple other guys in town, um, John Eisen and and Dave Mick, who are both also um, super excellent Buffalo Beer history uh, researchers, historians, and storytellers, and collectors, especially in the case of Dave. And and what their research has revealed that we didn't, in fact, know even like a year ago when this, the book is a little bit over a year old. So mm-hmm. the research is maybe like, let's call it two years old. These guys have in that interim put together a little bit more of the story between 1812 and let's say 1832 when when the city is founded. Formally, uh-huh. And figured out that, um, you know, the the first person really probably brewing in Buffalo proper in, in 1825 was a guy named uh, Minor Docks. And, um, yeah, he, he didn't make our book at all. No, he he didn't make the book at all. (laughs) He's an interesting fellow and, and, and you should, you should track down John. I'll give you his information. Track down john and, and, and uh, dave, and they'll they'll fill you in on the very early brewing history because they've been trying to uncover that stuff that takes a lot of time yeah John's retired, so he can he can spend some time down reading the earliest papers and you got they're not indexed. You yeah. just basically have to read them cover to cover <laughs> yeah. to see if you can find any trace of of brewing news because they're just not indexed huh. So when we pick up um, Mike and I is where is also where more or less where Stephen Powell started with with rushing the growler mm-hmm. is around the late 1820s 1828 to like 1832, which is the founding of the city. At that point, there seemed to be two breweries operating. There's the brewery that's going to become the Moffitt's Brewery, which was which was Dox's, which we now know was Dox's original brewery, and it okay. changed hands a few times before Moffitt uh, bought it. And then the other brewery is actually technically out of town. It's out at Utica and Main yeah. Street, which is out of town at that time. <coughs> that's the Cold Springs Brewery. That's Rudolph Baer, um, sometimes pronounced Bear Bar, B-A-E-R. Mm-hmm. And those are the first like two breweries that you know that we have really strong good evidence for.
0: Now, Cold Springs again around the water mm-hmm. named that because of literal cold springs. Yeah, there, there was
1: literally a spring there. If you, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a good idea to stand at the <laughs> intersection of Utica and Maine for very long, uh-huh. uh, whether the light's green or red, you're gonna get hit by somebody. But uh, <laughs> but right at the center of that inter- intersection, at one time, was a spring. Uh-huh. And at, at the corner where Willoughby Insurance now is, was, uh, was Rudolph Bear's uh, Tavern Brewery. And like most of the early breweries in Buffalo up until the 1870s or so, they weren't very industrialized. They were, yeah. they were essentially, they were homebrewing, I mean, they were CBW. They were homebrewing operations scaled up with most of the beer being sold on-premise. And a little bit of distribution in in the kegs of the day, which would have been you know wooden casks,
0: right by wheelbarrow.
1: Yeah, and 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 rough <laughs> bottling, you know, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the 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 beginning of the brewing history kind of mirrors the contemporary in that it's a lot of smaller smaller operations.
0: The big brewers, did they come in or did they consolidate? Not not talking about the big brewers that we know today. I'm talking about yeah. Them. The well,
1: that- but yeah, right. I mean, a lot of the guys that become the bigger brewers uh-huh. start out as assistant brewers in these small breweries. Yeah. So one of the things I like to, to point out, um, like the number that gets tossed around a lot in terms of the number of breweries that we had at one point, you hear like 36, 37, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, that was probably, uh, that's probably about right as far as the, the the largest number of breweries operating at one time. Okay. But that would have been in the 1860s when all of those breweries were, again, like 5,000 barrel a year or less concerns. Right. Mostly selling their beer on premise as a tavern brewery, as a brew pub, what we would call brew pub today, you know? Yeah. By the time Buffalo makes the most beer it's ever going to make in a year. Mm-hmm. At, that takes about 19 breweries. Okay. And, you know, that's like a million barrels. But in like 1868, you know, when we had 35 breweries combined, they probably made 35, maybe 40,000 barrels, like
0: nothing. Yeah.
1: Compared to what they would scale up to do.
0: Well, Buffalo is still growing at that time. For sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Erie Canal completed 1826.
1: Uh, I'm never very good with uh, with with dates outside of beer. Anyway,
0: um, <laughs> I'll look it up. I'll make sure it's yeah. Fine.
1: No, but the ear canal is complete a little bit later than that. Uh, but its impact, later? Okay. but its impact goes on for for a number of years after that. Yeah, um, because it it really it really grows the city, and I think that pursuant to that i guess is that we were a bigger malting concern than we were a brewing concern we made yeah. we made beer mostly for here none of the buffalo breweries ever became really big national concerns yeah a number of them were sending beer further than just western new york but not a lot and indeed that's why when prohibition ended they weren't really positioned you know to 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 move forward and so they just died out kind of slowly right but when we were at our peak for brewing output and everything, you know we were we were making a lot of beer. There was absolutely a huge market for beer that was largely local,
0: so the thirty five breweries consolidate or or get purchased close down into the nineteen ish yeah ish that you're talking of
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mostly the smaller ones close out. the uh-huh. the The original owners say, "Hey, done Tavern Brewery, done." Right. My assistant brewer is Gerhard Lang, or was, and now right. he's got a huge concern. And what's what's my purpose in life anymore? Kids have a secure future. I'm
0: done. <laughs> and when right. you say huge concern, you're talking about huge.
1: Nobody in Buffalo is making as much beer as as any of those 19 breweries were, let's say, circa uh, 1910. Yeah. Yeah,
0: for sure. None of those buildings still exist.
1: Pretty much none of those buildings still <laughs> exist. Or what still exists is only a part of what used to yeah. exist. That's right. I've driven I mean, around
0: and I've taken a look at yeah. all of them.
1: The Lang Brewery was the biggest mm-hmm. uh, before Prohibition. I think cranking out about 400,000 barrels a year at its peak four hundred thousand. Thousand yeah, Four hundred thousand. Wow. Context. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Flying Bison is gonna make, you know, ten ish thousand barrels this year. Yeah, that's um, insane. Uh Big Ditch did about five thousand last year. They just bought a bunch of tanks. They hope to make, you know, fifteen thousand barrels a year. Yeah. So four hundred thousand. Right. <laughs> most of which was consumed locally.
0: Yeah. And what kind of beer? And they
1: be were there just there? one of the other. So a million barrels were probably produced in about 1910, 1914 See, it or sounds whatever. Sounds
0: like a great time to be alive. If you could go back Doesn't to it? time. Sure. Go back to the time of the beer gardens the, the, in Buffalo. The forces
1: of prohibition were gathering,
0: however. <laughs> yeah. It was great. It should be like a thing behind you.
1: Right. there's
0: in like there, the History Channel when you say there, things there,
1: like there that. There was darkness. There was darkness <laughs> at the door. But on the surface, things looked pretty good, but they didn't. I mean, consolidation was already happening, right? We were down yeah. to 19 breweries from a peak of 36. And they were fighting each other. And there had been many. When you read through the book, you'll find two or three places where you talk about the rumors of consolidation. Mm-hmm. If if any of those efforts had ever come to pass, um, we might've had a Pabst. We might've had a uh, a Budweiser. We might've had a Miller. We might've had a brewery that ended up with sort of a national presence before prohibition just in time so that after prohibition, they could kind of pick up where they left off and, and make a name, you know, continue to make a name for themselves. Yeah, But because I think because that didn't happen, you know, we didn't really end up on the map.
0: Now, a lot of those national breweries went into other things during prohibition to Mm -hmm. to keep the doors open. Mm -hmm. Any of the Buffalo breweries try to keep, keep going?
1: Uh, yeah, some did. So, uh, uh. Langs uh did the most in terms of spinning off other companies. They mm-hmm. had um a dairy, they had meat processing. Um and the, the Langs Creamery bottles and and crates are still actually pretty easy to find on on eBay. They had yeah. a bakery concern. Um and then they did real estate because uh before prohibition breweries outright owned uh retailers, bars. Yeah. And so they were actually pretty good at wheeling and dealing on real estate. Um, you know, Simon Pure had like 170 or 140 something properties in the city. Oh. They were bars mostly. So, uh, they, you know, so Lang's in particular, you know, spun off a real estate company as well. Um, and didn't really, and it didn't really try to do anything else during prohibition. They did all those legitimate businesses. Then right. you got businesses like Iroquois and Simon Pure who both tried to like make malt products and, you know, got busted here and there during Prohibition (laughs) for actually making beer on the side. And, and, and Iroquois actually, and Simon Pure both as well invested in Canadian brewing concerns during Mm -hmm. Prohibition because like, well, we know how to make beer and Canada's just right over there. So whatever. Yeah. So they, they, they did invest in or outright own Canadian breweries for a certain amount of time during Prohibition. Simon Pure, in fact, paid their executives all the way through prohibition, a salary, probably not very good idea because again, when prohibition ended, they weren't, they had to sell a bunch of stock to capitalize to, uh, to update their equipment and everything else. Whereas Anheuser, you know, or whatever, they're just Anheuser at the time. Yeah. Um, they were, they were all ready to go. So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, uh, the companies that were able to open again after prohibition found various ways to kind of subsist during that period of 13 years.
0: But didn't, didn't last. I mean, Iroquois lasted until, what, the 60s?
1: Both Iroquois and Simon Pure closed in early 1970s. 70s, uh, 71 and yeah. 72 are both in 71. Depends what you want to call their closing date. But yeah, basically 71, they're both done.
0: Yeah. And yeah. is that just people getting out of it or, or just losing to the major companies?
1: That's... Yeah, that's what it comes down to. I mean, when you have, when you have the economies of scale that the national breweries, the mega, whatever you want to call them breweries have. Yeah. They can, um, it's, it, it's sort of predatory capitalism, I guess. You, you can target a market and say, okay, for this market for a year, we can afford to sell the beer under cost. So. You know, we'll take a loss in this market, but in other markets, we're making money, so it's not a big deal. And what we're doing is for our long term, you know, we're assuring it because by selling the beer so much cheaper than local breweries can, we're undercutting their market and putting them on their heels. Yeah. And if we put them out of business, then we can get our prices back up to where they actually make us money and people are stuck with us. So there
0: you go. Makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think they just picked a market, and then Buffalo was the market they picked. By the late '60s, and said, "Hey, screw <laughs> it. These guys are done." Yeah, they just flooded it with cheap beer until everybody was basically on their heels or out of business, and then that's it,
0: done. So, this cheap beer that was flooding in—do you think? I mean, because we kind of adopted certain types of beers in, in Buffalo prior uh-huh. to this Renaissance. Uh-huh. Is it is it these companies kind of forcing the taste on the people, or do you think it's the the taste of the people kind of shaping the way that these companies are brewing?
1: That's a good question. I. I think it's both. Yeah. Um and I don't I don't say that to hedge. I say that because having given it some thought, I don't I don't think people who who like Budweiser or choose to drink Budweiser we just had this Budweiser buyback program, so this yeah. is like yes, kind, of, kind of in my mind. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to step out of the history. I'm going to put on my CBW hat for a second. Sorry. No, you shouldn't. No, I try not to always be that, right? I don't always want to be the voice of CBW. There's other things to talk about. But since these intersect, I'll do that for a second. People who want to and drink Budweiser and who like Budweiser are not necessarily all You know, like stupid fools who don't give any thought to what they're doing in life. (laughs)
0: Like that, some of them are. (laughs)
1: Well, (laughs) some people are in general, no matter what they drink. (laughs) No,
0: true. Honestly, right? I I might cut that out. I probably won't. Fair enough. Either
1: way, (laughs) uh, I'm I'm pretty uncensored, Scott. I'm sure you guessed by now. Um, But you, you know, so I I recognize that there's a marketing aspect to consumer decision making, but I mm-hmm. think that individuals actually like certain things and don't like certain things and no amount of marketing can overcome that. So if you find Budweiser disgusting, yeah. it really doesn't matter how much they appeal to your sense of patriotism or uh, price point or uh, design or whatever it is yeah. um, outside of the beer. You're not going to, you can't drink it if you just don't like it. That said, I think they spend a lot of time positioning themselves as this kind of company and a lifestyle kind of choice. Yeah. And the beer is inoffensive. So, you know, because it doesn't really have much flavor. And I don't, right. I'm not saying that as a criticism. That's an observation. Yeah. No. And and so it can be adaptable to a lot of people. And that's where the marketing picks up. But to pretend that somehow or another craft beer is like marketing free and it's just like, well, the beer is good. And that's that's (laughs) the only reason people drink it or like it. Yeah, that's bullshit, man. If you think that somehow or another Sam Adams or CBW isn't Budweiser. Right. uh, Well, we are. Yeah. Right? You you don't have have the volume and you don't make cheap, flavorless beer. But, I mean, marketing matters, man. If if you don't believe that, then you're denying a a fundamental truth about capitalism, which is the situation we That's what we're operating in.
0: So the beers, pre-prohibition Buffalo beers, Mm -hmm. how similar are they to the major breweries of today? Oh, I love
1: this question. Okay, so there's a notion that... The beers that were being made pre-prohibition were not very varied or flavorful or whatever, that this process of making like, you know, corn lagers already was in place. And um, to some extent that there's some truth to that, but that's not really the truth. (laughs) The German brewers that, you know, in Buffalo at least, were making a pretty wide variety of beers besides just, uh, light lagers. They were absolutely making wheat beers. Uh They were making some sour wheat beers. Like I've seen bottles that say Berliner Weiss. (laughs) Berliner Weiss. Yeah. I think it meant the same thing in 1870 or 80 as it does now. It was a, it was a light alcohol tart wheat beer. Mm-hmm. Um, they were making box seasonally because that's what you did in Germany at the time, and they brought that tradition with them to the new world. Yeah. Now they were mostly making lagered beers. Uh, most of the brewers in in Buffalo were were of German uh, background, and so that's what they would have been familiar with, and that's what they like to make. Right pre-prohibition i think post-prohibition you know they were basically all making um you know ales yeah oh. uh, yeah i mean they might have they might have marketed them as lighter ales but they gotcha. needed to turn those tanks they needed to they they couldn't afford 6-8 months of lagering time i think that's the okay. pressure they found themselves under and so they start turning to more more ales. It's weird because the nomenclature changes. So even as recently as the early 70s or late 60s, you see breweries that advertise beer and ale. What uh-huh. does that mean to you? Yeah, right? Today with a modern like wait, isn't ale a kind of beer? Isn't beer comprised of lagers and ales? Yeah. And then lagers are all these styles and ales are all these styles. That That taxonomy is a, is a, is a modern invention. It's actually, it falls pretty much squarely out of Michael Jackson, the great beer writer of the, of the, the, The not not the the singer, (laughs) who, um, who did a lot of ethnography, uh, of beer, you know, in the late seventies and early eighties and, 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 and and defined a lot of, of, of what we consider modern, you know, taxonomy and styles. Yeah. But, you know, in 19, 59 uh beer and ale would have been distinct and beer would have meant lager yeah and ale would have meant ale like we kind of think of it Yeah, you know, prior to prohibition most of the breweries were making lagers and where they were making ales is because they were making wheat beers but they would call them vice beers and they wouldn't have said they were ales using ale yeast. they would just said well you know they're vice beers
0: was there a, was there a a stigma to the ales? I don't think so. Uh, okay. but well,
1: yeah, in a sense there was. So the Moffats were the only ale and porter. Yeah. Brewery. And by like the 1890s, they were the only ones left. And their ads even say that like, Hey, we're the only people still making ales and porters. So they were continuing the British tradition that existed before all the Germans showed up and brought their lager yeasts and and their industrialization and whatever else. Um, the Moffats and they're one of my favorite breweries in the history just because of that fact. Like all the way up to prohibition, they clung to this. We make, (laughs) we make ale and porter. Yeah. I'm like, right. And, and, and flour and soap and everything else you can to stay in business. Yep. Totally get that. <laughs> I think if you're interested in the history, I, I like what we did with our book. I would urge you to read it, but I would urge you to, to fill in. And, you know, Stephen's book is really great. Yeah. Um, John. Rushing yeah. Rushing the Growler. It was the inspiration for us. A lot of his sources are sources that we read, we re- Replumbed, I guess, mm-hmm. and he always said it was sort of a guidebook. You know, he wanted to come back to it and do a second edition someday. And his life has taken him in other directions, so he's just as happy that we kind of ex- expanded on on his original research. Yeah, I think John and Dave are are continuing to do some of that research. I I I really do need to run a brewery most of the time. So <laughs> yeah. this was this was fun, Darn it. And, and I thank Mike a lot for doing <laughs> a lot of the the work. I mean, yeah. you know, for for us it was a partnership, and you know, I only have so much time. So a lot of thanks to Mike for for digging all that stuff up. He actually just got uh Washington beer published like last week, oh, nice. so he's he's gone on to keep.
0: That's where he is, right? He's yeah,
1: he moved to Seattle. That's right, and so like I'm I'm left here to to market this book. Thanks, nice. Mike. And he's moving on, but you know, I I, I like what we're doing here right now, and yeah. I want there to be an enduring Buffalo beer culture. So what I guess what I would close with is this, you know, having having read the history and seeing what happened. I mean, there are things you can't do much about, like prohibition. Yeah. Obviously, it was a national issue, not a local well, issue. Well, there's
0: an amendment now. <laughs> there is. <So> we're... <laughs>
1: for for the time. I don't think we're going to do that again.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. But um, consolidation and in, you know, if you look at capitalism as a whole, regardless of this industry, any industry, these waves of growth and consolidation, that's cyclical. That's history. Yeah. Um. But I don't, you know, so even if we can sell, if we grow a bunch more breweries and then, you know, some of them, you know, maybe us, whatever, don't, don't make it. That's fine. Um, But I would like us never to get back to a point of zero again. I mean, that just seems entirely unnecessary. So, you know, support local to some extent like it's always going to cost you more yeah to not buy something that's mass produced and you know whatever else and you as a consumer i feel like that's the thing that i learned is like i'm it saddens me that through the 50s and 60s buffalonians they they just wanted beer and I get that I I just want beer too and so when you go to the grocery store and there's Simon Pure and there's Budweiser and the Budweiser is more consistent it's made of better quality ingredients at that yeah. point and it's cheaper I understand why you're gonna make that decision but every time you make that decision you you're 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 chalking another day off of Simon Pure's life yeah if you want Simon Pure <clears throat> to be better or CBW or Big Ditch or whatever it is in the future. You got to you gotta make that decision to support them anyway, even though it costs you more. Yeah. And if that means you drank one less beer, maybe that's okay. You know, I don't know. Do you need six? Maybe five's all right. That's right. So I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't pretend that, you know, what we got right now is the way things are always going to be or, or whatever. I'm not yeah. naive. I'm a student of history to some extent. But <laughs> yeah. I, I do very much hope that we never get back to whatever consolidation should happen, whatever growth should happen first etc. I hope we're never back at a point we were in 1974, where there's literally not a brewery in Buffalo. Yeah. That seems like stupid.
0: (laughs) Agreed. There you have it. Where can we find the book? Uh, Here at CBW. Yep. Of course. Uh, We do
1: sell it here at CBW. I think some of the other breweries may stock it. And uh, Talking Leaves always has it. And I encourage you to buy local when it comes to books as well. Failing that, your Barnes and Nobles have it. And failing that, it is definitely available on Amazon.com. So, you know, I'd rather you bought it at all. (laughs) And not buy it because you can't find it. So there you
0: go. Uh, Are you willing to name, rename Frank to America?
1: Yes. Uh, (laughs) For the next 10 minutes, (laughs) Frank is America. Go.
0: As American as apple pie. That's it. Hey, thank you very much. You're welcome. Hopefully that was really interesting. If you want to read... That book, check out Buffalo Beer, The History of Brewing in the Nickel City by Michael Rizzo and Ethan Cox. You can find that on Amazon. You can go to Community Beer Works. That's the way I suggest you do it. That's the way I did it because then you can just get it signed by Ethan. It's great. Also, once again, we'll be at the third annual Buffalo Brewers Festival. And I want to give a shout out to the Rearview Ramblers for letting us use their song, You Can't Buy Beer With Condolences, as our theme song. Hopefully, you're out at 12 Gates. And if you haven't been there yet... Go check it out. It's really freaky when a plane flies overhead. So we'll see you next time on episode 24. And I'll see you out at the third annual Buffalo Brewers Festival. Because you can-